Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Let me pray before we uh, start this series. Is that okay? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, what you've done in my heart as I've studied this week and. Um, I feel all these same things that Moses felt. I feel inadequate and I feel unqualified. And uh, I feel those same fears that he felt. And God, I pray that you would just uh, overcome those and speak your truth and grace through me anyhow. That you would let the truth of your word and the love from your heart just ring true in this room. And uh, just penetrate our hearts, penetrate our souls, God, and help each of us to leave the room a little different than when we came in? Would you just give us one thing to grab onto? We can understand you better, love you more, take a step in our faith. Um, maybe finally for the first time in our life, just kind of break down those walls that have kept us at arm's length from you and instead just embrace the truth and grace of your gospel, God. Would you um, just bless this time, help it to be a time of learning, a time of understanding, give everybody in our room ears to hear. And God, just... Um, Show up and show off your glory in our room through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, if you want to follow, <clears throat> follow along in your Bible with us, <clears throat> most of the time today will be in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. I know uh, if you were here last week, you heard this is a Christmas series. That's true, but not really today, okay? So this is more like an introduction to the whole series. And uh, so we're starting this new series called Fear Not. I was reading through the Christmas story probably a little before this time last year, and um, I noticed some interesting things in that story, but there are four sets of characters that show up uh, in the story, and an angel appears to them and says to all four of them, Fear Not. And that's where the name came from for this series. And we're going to look at each of those four instances, each of those four accounts, and see what the angel's message was to those people. And it's not what you'd think it'd be. And I can't share that with you this week. It's going to start next week. But I couldn't do this series, I thought, without going to Exodus 3 and 4. I feel like it sets the framework for God's instructions to not be afraid in the Bible. So we're going to look at that first today, if that's okay. Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. All the verses will be on the screen. But if you want to follow along on your own, that's where we'll be at. So fear is a tricky thing, right? Fear is a tricky thing. I read through the Bible, and um, it's the most often repeated command in the Bible to fear not. But then there's other times in the Bible where I'm told to fear the Lord, right? And so it kind of gets confusing, like, am I supposed to be afraid or not supposed to be afraid? And, and fear in life kind of works a lot like that. There's some fear I've got that's real healthy for me, right? I'm afraid to stand in the middle of the road when tractor trailers are coming. That's a good fear. It keeps me alive, right? Sometimes my fear keeps me from unhealthy, risky behavior that would harm me, Right? Other times, I'm afraid of something that I should press into, and it causes me to run away and hide, and it's not a healthy thing. Sometimes the fear paralyzes me, keeps me from taking any action in my life, keeps me, I don't know, distant from all the people I say I love. I'm afraid I'll be rejected. I'm afraid they won't believe what I'm saying. I'm afraid that it won't land the way I want it to land. I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll miss out on something, and these kind of fears paralyze us and keep us kind of trapped in chains. So there's some fears that have pros to them, some fears that have cons to them, some fears 
that keep me doing the right thing and some fears that trick me into doing all the wrong things. So how do I know the difference? That's a good question. That might be the question of this series. How do I know the difference between the fear I'm supposed to embrace and the fear I'm supposed to press through anyhow? So I want to kick off this series today in a way that will set you up for success over the next month. And I hope you'll come back each week. We're going to, like I said, look at this kind of five-part series and hopefully set you free from some fear. Set you free. And maybe you're here today and you think like, I'm not afraid of anything. And maybe you are and just don't realize it. Let me just say, if you live a life where you never take any chances, you never do anything that's uncomfortable, you never do anything that you feel like stretches you, then you're living a life of fear. And so that's not the life God wants you to live. He wants you to take some risks. He wants you to take some chances. He wants you to take some leaps. And so we got to figure out as Christians which ones we're supposed to take and which ones we're supposed to resist. I want you to be free from your fear, but only the unhealthy kind of fear. So let me set the stage for you, Exodus chapter 3. And I would encourage you, like as the pastor, it would be my encouragement to you to go home today, spend some time reading Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. We won't have time to read through and cover the entire two chapters. So I'm going to sum up some of the stuff and just look at pieces of it with you. But Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, study God's word on your own. Don't just take my word for it. I'm no different than you. So study God's word on your own. Read it for yourself. But Exodus chapter 3, let me kind of set the scene. The main, character in this story, the main characters in this story are God and Moses. And so um, Moses is not the Moses you know of at this point, if you're like, I grew up in church and I heard all the stories about Moses. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of called like the, the hall of faith and they read through all these characters in the Old Testament that had great faith and Moses is one of them and Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Moses in this exact instance we're going to look at today and it doesn't sound anything like the Moses I read in these verses in Exodus 3 and 4. It talks about Moses being like confident and trusting in God leading other people, taking risks and having courage. And then I read Exodus 3 and 4, I'm like, he doesn't sound like that at all. He's not the Moses that you know that um, eventually would lead the nation of Israel and, 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 and get the Ten Commandments from God. And we talked a few weeks back about him going up on Mount Moriah and getting um, the tablets of stone where God wrote his laws with his fingertips into those tablets and gives them to Moses. This isn't that Moses yet. This is a Moses who's never had a conversation with God. He's like brand new to all this. In fact, he's scared. He was so scared of the life he was living, he ran away from it. Some of us have been there, right? Not, not just ran away from it like hid in his house, like ran away from it like moved to another country, kind of afraid of his life. And so he's living in Egypt. He grows up in Egypt and he gets himself into some trouble, it's like the sermon for all of us so far, right? And he runs to another land to live. He's so scared. This is 40 years later. He's been living in this other land, and uh, he's just a shepherd. Not even his own shepherd. He's working for his father-in-law. How rough would that be? Right? Some of you are like, amen. You know, I don't work for my father-in-law. But like, here's Moses. He's 40 years down the road. Now he's about 79, 80 years old. And he's been working for his stepdad as a shepherd. And he's out one day herding the sheep, taking them out um, to pasture. And he's at the base of this mountain. It would be the very same mountain 
that he would receive those commandments from God from several months later. He doesn't know that yet. He's not even 100% sure if God is like this real thing or if he even knows them or has a relationship with them, but he knows of him. And so here he is out with his sheep, shepherding these sheep all by himself, and he sees over off in the distance this bush on fire. But there's something strange about it. The bush is on fire when it's not being consumed. It's not actually burning up. And he sees it from a distance and he thinks, I got to go check that out. And that's where we're going to pick the story up in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. This is what Moses says. He says, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. And listen to what God says to him. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he didn't celebrate. He didn't write a book about it or post something on Facebook. He didn't put up praise hands and group text to all of his friends. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I've shared this with our church before, but there are a lot of stories floating around in our world, especially in the last 40 or 50 years, a lot of stories floating around our world about all these people who have had this encounter with God. They've seen him. They've talked to him. They've had a near-death experience or a vision or a dream. And, and in their vision or in their dream or in their near-death experience, in this encounter with God, this supernatural thing, oftentimes what comes out of it is a book <laughs> or a movie. Okay, And I'm not saying nobody's ever seen God. I'm not saying that their stories are fake. I don't know them at all. But what I am saying is every time somebody saw God in the Bible, they didn't see a warm light. They didn't feel like jumping up on Papa's lap and telling him what they want for Christmas. What they did was they hit the floor and hid their face because they were scared. When anybody in the Bible actually sees the glory of God, it terrifies them. They hide from it. So just be very careful whenever you hear one of these stories where it's like, I spoke with God, I had a conversation with God, and he told me I'd get whatever I want with my life. Like, well, well, I don't ever see that in the Bible. In fact, oftentimes when people come encounter with God and he has a message for them, it's usually the exact opposite of what they'd like to hear. They're usually like, no, 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 God, I don't want to go to Nineveh and preach. I'm going to run and get on a ship and go the opposite direction. No, 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 God, I don't want you to say those things to me. I want to hear the opposite. I want to sit on your right and on your left hand in the kingdom. And when people see the glory of God, they're struck with awe at how amazing he is. He's so different than us. It just consumes all of our emotions. And that's what's going on here with Moses. Now, that's a good fear. That's a good fear. For, for us to be so in awe of God that we feel like we can't even look at him. 
I remember uh, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah when Isaiah has this vision and he sees God in his throne room and he looks and he realizes he's in God's presence and he looks away ashamed and he says, I'm so messed up, I'm going to die. Compared to what you are, I'm so screwed up. God sends an angel with a burning hot coal over to Isaiah and the angel touches Isaiah's lips with the hot coal and he says, no, you're going to be cleansed by God. And God cleans him and says, no, now you can go represent me. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You don't come to God and be like, oh, God's making it all better. He's making me feel like I'm the greatest. He's pumping me up. No, you come to God and you recognize like I'm messed up. I'm so different than him. And he's like, yeah, but I can save you. I can make you clean. This is good fear, healthy fear. It's really kind of the opposite of most of the time when we're afraid. We kind of do the opposite. And it's like God, I think, in his word is saying to us today, like he wants us to be afraid of him. You say, what do you mean afraid? You mean like scared? Scared to even be around him? Well, kind of. A little bit, yeah. He wants you to see him for who he really is and realize you're so much different than him. He is so holy. Holy is just a big church word that just means separated, uniquely separated, different. And when it comes to God, his difference is most manifest in his perfection. He's so different than us. He's so holy, separate from us because he's so perfect. Us, on the other hand, we're not. And coming face to face with him, whether it's me reading about him in his word or it's me having a dream at my house or a conversation with somebody who loves and knows him and is sharing some truth with me about him, in those moments, I should be smacked in the face and think to myself, like, I'm so different than him. I don't even deserve to be loved by him. There's no way I could do this thing on my own. And, and our fear is almost the opposite. We almost treat God disrespectfully. And God is like, you should be afraid of me. Respect me. Live in awe of me. And you should have total confidence and no fear of everyone and everything else. And yet for us, we flip it. We're so often flippant with God and fearful with everyone else. And we should be the exact opposite. We should be fearful of God and not even care what everyone else thinks. But man, we're so scared. So scared of what everyone else thinks. Of things not working out. And Moses was no different than us. He has this healthy fear of God when he sees him, when he's exposed to his glory. But his fear doesn't stop at the presence of the Lord. Like us, it spirals out of control, and he's absolutely terrified by what God is going to call him to do, just like we are. Oh, we wouldn't call it fear. You would never stand up in front of your family or at your church or with a friend and say, I'm just so scared. We don't say it. We just are it. We're just afraid. Afraid of what God is calling us to do. So let me tell you kind of what's going to happen in this account here. So God's going to speak to Moses. And what he's going to tell him to do is go back to Egypt. 
the country he ran away from, go to the king of Egypt and say to the king of Egypt, my God has told me to come to you and tell you to release all your Israelite slaves that have been doing all this free work for you. That would be terrifying for me too. If God showed up today and he said to you, I want you to go over to some nation that's run by a militant dictator. I want you to go up to the throne. I want you to be like, God told me to show up here and tell you to give up your throne. God told me to show up here and tell you to stop mistreating your people. Be a little scary, a little intimidating, right? Add to that that that's where Moses is from. It's kind of like going back home. You kind of grow up, you go away from home, and then you go back home, and everybody still thinks you're 12, right? And yet you're an adult, and so it's like, well, how do I interact with these people now that I'm all grown up? It's a little scary. It's a little intimidating. Somehow you're like fourth grade school teacher, still intimidating. And he or she's like 90 now, and you're still scared of them. And that's kind of how it is. And Moses is terrified of this idea going back. Yeah, God's like, yeah, yeah, go back. And, and when you're there, go ahead and get with all your people too, all the Israelites. Tell them that I sent you there and that they should follow you, Moses, the guy who ran out on them 40 years ago, the guy who was too scared to stay there, the guy who was in a position of authority but didn't use it at all to help us or set us free, just bailed on us four decades earlier. Go to them and say, like, yeah, your God came to me and said, I'm supposed to lead you now. Follow me, everybody. I'm going to get you out of here. And he's scared of it. I want to read you just four examples through this text of when Moses was afraid. He complains, he protests, he begs. He, he, he's making his case to God that he's the wrong guy for the job and that he's too scared to do this. Let me read them to you in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Here's the first one. But Moses protested to God. He said, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh, appear before the king? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says this. He protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never really appeared to you? Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else but me. Right? Over and over. Now he's making his case. Now one time in there did Moses say, God, I'm scared. But come on, if you're reading the text, can't you tell he's scared? That's just what we do. I think you got the wrong guy. Preach? Speak up about my faith at work? Defend somebody who's getting picked on? Give the first of what I get? Turn the other cheek? Love those people who live next door to me? Do you know what they let their dogs do? So we just hide. And then we name all the reasons to God why we're the wrong person to say anything. Why we're the wrong person to take on that role. Go to somebody's living room I hardly know and sit around with 10 other people that I barely know at all and join in community. That's terrifying. Take on a serving role that I'm not super qualified for. I don't think I can do that. We would never say we're scared, but that's what we are. No matter how many reasons we got, 
No matter how many excuses we can come up with, no matter how many other people we can blame, the only reason, if you're a Jesus follower, the only reason you don't obey what Jesus says is because you're scared. Now, some of you might be here and you're like, I'm not a Jesus follower. It might not be fear for you. You might just want to be your own God. But if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, this is what keeps us from acting. This is what keeps us from community. It's what keeps us from serving. It's what keeps us from sacrificing. It's what keeps us from giving. It's what keeps us from obeying. All the same reasons Moses gave. I think you got the wrong guy. I got all kinds of shortcomings. I'm really not qualified for this. I'm very inadequate. Those people won't even believe me. There's no way they'd ever follow me. I'm definitely not talented enough to do any of that. And I'll just sit out on the sideline, scared. Scared. Afraid. God responds to Moses every time. Let me read you some of God's responses. Here's the first one, Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. God says this. I will be with you. That's it. I'll be with you. I love that. I've talked about this a lot in our church, but let's call that one God's proximity. Can we do that? If proximity is not a good word for you, you can call it God's presence because that still starts with a P. That keeps me on the whole like pastor alliteration thing. So we're good, right? So God's proximity, right? He's like, I'm with you. I've told our church before, almost every time in the Bible we're given the command to fear not, it's followed up with one of three phrases. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I have always been with you. Fear not, for I will always be with you. Past, present, or future, I'm with you, God says. That's why you shouldn't be afraid. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because I'm so strong or so tough. Not because I'm so wise or so cunning. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Right? This is God's proximity. He comes back to this over and over again with Moses. Hey, don't sweat it. I'm with you. I'm going to go with you. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to have your back. Here's another one, Exodus chapter 3, verse 17. God says, I've promised to rescue you. Tell all those other people that don't believe you. When you're afraid to say anything, just let them know. I've already promised to get you out of this. Let's call that one God's promise. Can we do that? You see what I'm doing there with the P's, right? It's a, that's next level. Just saying. It's not really next level. It just happened that way. But. All right, let's look at one more. Exodus chapter 3, verse 20. God tells uh, Moses that Pharaoh's not going to let his people go when he tells them to. He's like, hey, you're going to go do this thing for me, and he's not going to do it. But then he says, so I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. Let's call this one God's power. Is that okay? God's power. Let's put those three on the screen for just a second, Addison. These three things are going to come up over and over again in the next four weeks. When we look at these characters in the Christmas story, the shepherds and Zechariah and Joseph and Mary, we look at all these different characters in the story, God's going to keep coming back to these things. I'm with you. I made you some promises. I've got unlimited power. And these three things are really what get fear out of our life. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, just 
let me break you into two groups for a second. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and you feel afraid, you've stopped believing one of these three things. In that moment, you've stopped believing that God's with you. Or you've stopped believing that God has promised to have your back, to take care of you, to see you through, to get you through, to you stop believing some promise of God, or you stop believing that God's strong enough to deal with your stuff. Here's what God is saying, and he comes back to these over and over again with Moses. All throughout this passage, he comes back to them over and over. I'll be with you. I promise to take care of it all. I will display my power. I won't leave you. You can believe what I'm saying. I'll even enable you to display my power. He keeps coming back to these same ideas over and over again. What God is really saying to Moses is this. Ready? I'm in complete control. I'm in complete control. When you feel afraid, you only feel afraid because you don't believe God is in complete control anymore. The, the big $2 like theological word for this is sovereignty. That God is sovereign over everything. That he has complete control over every person, over every speck of dust, over every minute of time. He's everywhere I could ever be. He's promised me everything I'll ever need. And he's completely omnipotent. He's completely unlimited in power to do whatever needs to be done in the situation. He's in complete control. And there's just something reassuring about the biggest, strongest guy being in the room with you and saying, I'll fight for you. And there's no reason to be scared in that moment. But when we forget God's there, or we stop embracing his promises, or we start thinking we have to do everything on our own, and not depend on his power, then we start to get scared. And we're going to see this come up over and over again in these accounts we're going to look at. But today what I'd like to do is kind of move away from all that. And we're going to come back to that, I promise. And if you'll come back next week, I'm going to share something with you that in a long life now I've had, <laughs> I've never seen in the Christmas story. I'm not going to tell you because Lily will make fun of me. She knows how old I am. But it's been a long life already, Lily, all right? But something stuck out to me in this series I've never noticed before in the Christmas story. And every time these angels show, this angel shows up and tells people not to be afraid, I'm thinking, I missed this all along, why he tells them not to be afraid and what he tells them not to be afraid of. He shows up and he says, don't be afraid. And he tells them not to be afraid. And I always thought it would be like, don't be afraid, I'm an angel. Right, that's what it should be. Because like the angel shows up, they get scared, and you're thinking they're scared because an angel just showed up. And who wouldn't be? Right? Like if an angel popped in the room right now, I'd be like, it's all yours, buddy. Like I'll go sit down. You know what I mean? And he'd probably be scared. But the angels never never says, the angel never says, Don't be afraid, I'm an angel from God. He never says that. Instead, he says, Don't be afraid of the very thing I know you're afraid of. Huh. And we're going to get to those in the next four weeks, I promise. But today, I felt like before we could do that, we needed to get to this one big piece of the conversation that is really at the heart of all of our fear. It's a piece that we need desperately. 
And it's connected to whether or not you will be able to embrace the fear that's good for you and drive away the fear that hurts you. So Moses is about to lodge one more complaint. I'm going to read it to you in a second. He's going to make his case to God one more time to send somebody else to do this job. It's in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. And I want you to see what God says back to him. So look at verse 13 in Exodus chapter 3. Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They will ask me, What's his name? That's just so funny because like, I'm just saying like, if somebody came to us and said that, we wouldn't say that. If somebody in America came to us and said, hey, God gave me a message. We'd be like, God, what's his real name? Like we wouldn't do that, you know what I mean? But it's like this is just the way it was in that culture, right? So are like, which God? They want to know, right? We don't, we don't think like that in America so much because for the most part, especially in an area like ours here, everybody's talking about the same God, right? But it's like, they're like, which God? What's his name? Who's the God that told you to come talk to us? He said, then what should I tell them? I don't even know what to call you. (laughs) You're just this burning bush. I don't know what to say. Listen to what God says in verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And you're like, has God watched too much Popeye? Like, what's he telling me to tell him? Like, that's not even going to make sense to them. Like, what do you mean I am who I am? We'll come back to that. If you're an underliner, just underline that phrase, I am who I am. And he goes on to say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God clarifies. He goes on in verse 15. He says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Man, underline that phrase. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Okay. I'm going to do my best not to get into the weeds. I don't want this to turn into like a Hebrew and Greek lesson today. So I want to do my best to just like keep it as simple as we can for all of us. But let's just put the name of God on the screen for a second. This is the name. It's Yahweh. Okay? This is what he tells Moses to tell the people his name is. Now, we don't really say Yahweh much in our culture today. We just say God, right? Uh, but, but like, so this is God's name in Hebrew, Yahweh. This is what he says to Moses. In fact, this isn't actually really, it's really just four consonants. You have to take the vowels out. It's actually this, Y-H-W-H, okay? In, in ancient Hebrew, they didn't use any vowels, I don't know why that was, probably because it was so hard to handwrite everything or looking for the shortest possible way to do it, but they just didn't use any vowels, okay? So this is what God says, and really the pronunciation, it's hard to know for sure, but it's probably something like this, right? Now what's that sound like to you? It's almost like breath, right? Like this, the wind, I don't know, something like that. These vowels were added about 600 B.C. A group called the Masoretes wrote this script or copied the Bible, called it the Masoretic Text, and they went through and they added vowel sounds so it would be easier for people to read. Now I want to tell you why they added these vowels, the A and the E. It was just a guess by them. But these vowels come from the uh, Old Testament Hebrew word Adonai, which we have to thank Amy Grant for that because it's really Adonai. But she says Adonai in the song, so you have to kind of go with that now, I guess. But it's like, so uh, I just need you to kind of grasp this for just a second. 
Because we talk about God like the word means nothing. You understand? Like, like we say, oh my God, for everything. Like I eat a nice piece of cheesecake and I'll be like, oh my God, that's good cheesecake. But this is different to the Hebrews, to the Israelites back then. So they considered God's name to be so holy, so different than them, that they wouldn't even speak it out loud. So when they translated this in that text, 600 B.C., they added these vowels from a different word for God in the Old Testament, Adonai. There's three words for God in the Old Testament. There's Yahweh, Adonai, and Elohim, right? Adonai just means my Lord. Elohim, Elohim just means God. And Adonai and Elohim, they're used of different things besides Yahweh too. You could be like the God of a land or the God of a kingdom. Or, and they would just call you an Elohim or an Adonai, right? And so uh, they, they took this word for God, Adonai, and they pulled the vowels out of it. And they mixed them in with Yahweh. And if you read like the Masoretic text, these YHWH, they're not YHWH in Hebrew, it's just you don't know Hebrew, so I'm just giving you the English transliteration there. But like, they would read those letters and they'd all be capitalized and then they'd add, add these vowels, lowercase, in the word. And the point wasn't for them to decide how it was going to be pronounced. The point was that when a priest or somebody else would read through the Bible to people out loud, when they got to this word, it would remind them not to say it, but to substitute Adonai instead. Because they wouldn't say it out loud. You're like, why wouldn't they say it out loud? Well, there was just such a respect factor for God's name. They wanted it to be so different. And, and I read this uh, really like, kind of fascinating article this week about this too. It's kind of digging up, digging up some more content on this. And I read this, um, um, this thought that like ancient Jewish people were so afraid that they would break the second commandment and misuse God's name that they didn't even want to say it out loud. That's fascinating. And I'm saying God's name over like a piece of cake. I'm not saying it's using the Lord's name in vain every time you say God. I'm just saying, think of for a second. Is it possible that we don't respect God like he says he's supposed to be respected? Is it possible we don't fear him the way we're supposed to fear him? Is it possible we've cheapened his name and used it to describe things that are so inferior to him, we're really breaking the second commandment. Is it possible? Later on, the, I don't know, about 1000 AD or 1200 AD, when Latin was kind of like the dominant uh, educational language, they would rewrite the text and, and create a Bible called the Latin Vulgate, about 1200 AD. And they would rewrite this word, and, and in Latin, there is no. Y or W. There's no sounds for that, right? And so they just changed the Y to a J. And they changed the W to a V. And that morphed into the word we use today, Jehovah. And it literally means Yahweh. Yahweh. And, uh, you know, I think people are familiar with that a little bit today. Also, that word Jehovah. A lot of times in your English Bible, it might be written as Lord in all caps or Lord with like a capital L and then like small caps, O-R-D, if you've seen that before. But it's this word, Yahweh. And there's a lot of debate over what this word actually means, what the name of God actually means. But so many like biblical scholars 
uh, historians kind of think that the most Hebrews thought it meant this, that he brings into existence whatever exists. Think for a second. He is the breath of life. Like his very name is life. That's what he is. Nobody created him. Nobody has to sustain him. He is just him. He is always him. He is always present. I am. I never was. I always am. I'm never going to be. I always am. Tell them I'm just the one. I'm the one who's always been around and will always be around. I am existence. I am the breath of all life. The one to be feared and revered and honored and obeyed. And they should obey you. When they hear, that's the one who sent you. If they don't, don't sweat it. I'll be with you. If they don't, don't sweat it. I've already promised this is going to happen. If they don't, don't sweat it. I'll perform miracles and show my power to get them to obey. But just tell them, the breath of all life has sent you. He's holy and deserving of our allegiance. This is his eternal name, the name to remember for all generations, he says. Are we teaching that name to our kids? Are we teaching them to respect and fear and honor God? Or is he just something we throw around like it's nothing? Are we just flippant with him and fearful of everything else? What are your kids, your grandkids, your friends seeing you? Do they see somebody that fears God and has total courage with the rest of the world? Or somebody that's such a coward when it comes to everybody else around them? Too afraid to talk to anybody. Too afraid to serve anybody. Too afraid to press into anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. Too afraid to do anything that stretches them at all. And then they just treat God like he's garbage. He's just a guy. He's just a cool dude. Grandpa that I talk to when I need something. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever you do or say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. He has the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus Every knee would bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The godly run to him and are safe. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And on and on and on and on. We could go through the whole Bible and God seems to care about how we respect and honor his name. We're going to see all these concepts played out, I promise. And we're going to leave you with all these practical steps to go out of here and address your fears. 1,500 years later, Jesus would be born and an angel would keep showing up saying, fear not, fear not, for God is all-powerful. Fear not, for his promises can be depended on. Fear not, for he is always with you wherever you're at. He's going to make it all work together for good. Fear will, will run wild, but God will provide the antidote over and over again. And uh, I hope you'll come back next week and see it. Like, it's just so fascinating. But to just start the series off, let's get in the right frame of mind. What if 
there's a connection between your fear of God and your fear of everyone and everything else. What if the less you fear, respect, live in awe of God, the more you fear, the more you're terrified, the more you don't know how to handle all the other stuff and everyone else around you? What if the more you fear God, the less you fear everyone and everything else? Is it worth considering today? God seems to think it matters. He seems to think it's a big deal. Tell him the I am sent you. And, and I know what you're afraid of. I'm afraid of the same stuff. Maybe God doesn't even hear my prayers. My life just seems to be like a train wreck. Bad stuff just seems to keep happening to me. I, I never seem to be able to get it right. So why even do anything? Let's not worry about any of that right now on week one. Just worry about this one piece. What if what needs to change the most in us today is that we need to respect God? Respect him enough to do what he says no matter how afraid I feel of it. What if we need to fear him more than we fear everyone and everything else around us? You don't need me to stand up here and tell you what God is calling you to do. He's probably not calling you to go talk to a pharaoh. He's probably not calling you to take a staff, throw it down on the ground, have it turn into a snake, turn a river into blood. But he is, I promise you, he is, he is calling you to use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. He is calling you to leverage your finances for eternity instead of something new that you want to have at home. He is calling you to raise your children up to honor and respect the Lord. He is calling you to be the kind of grandparent that sets the pace and shows your grandkids what it, like, what it looks like to follow Jesus with your whole heart. He is calling you to submit and love your spouse. He is calling you to turn the other cheek when somebody treats you like garbage. I don't have to pray about that stuff. It's in there. I don't have to pray about what God's already told me to do. Stop praying for a different answer. He already gave you the answers to that stuff. I don't have to pray about all the stuff I'm afraid of. I just have to do what he said, even if I'm scared. She's not in here. I appreciate if you don't say anything to her about this or make her embarrassed. But at 1030, we always get together and pray before church in the front. And uh, I'm always talking to my kids about it at home and they're terrified of it, terrified of it. Logan prayed one time, and, and uh, where's Stephanie? And when he was done, like Logan sneezed or something, right? And everybody laughed. Oh, it scared him, it scared him, right? And uh, Sydney was so scared of it. And I, I've been talking to him a lot lately about just like courage, how courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means you fear, feel fear, but you obey God anyhow. One of the things I've said to him about praying in front of other people, whether it's in their kids' class or at school or uh, over their lunch or in front of our church at 1030 is like, what if those people never heard anybody pray? They wouldn't even know there was a God to talk to. You might be the only person they ever hear talk to God. So we got to choose to live with courage and respect God and fear him more than we fear what everybody else might think of us. Sydney came to church today and, and asked if she could pray. And she prayed before church. She was like terrified. And I said to her, uh, I said, I know I'm, I'm terrified too sometimes. Not, not really when I'm like in front of you guys, but I was like, I'm terrified too sometimes. But I said, uh, the only thing, the only thing that makes the fear less is doing it more. 
And it's like you can be afraid to speak in front of people, to share your faith, to lead your family in a devotional time, to, to give the first and best of your finances to the Lord. All that stuff's scary. But the only thing that'll make the fear less is you just doing it in obedience more and more. That's it. So you can sit back, stay scared, or you can press in and get sanctified. But God's trying to sanctify you. It's not what you want to hear. It's not warm fuzzies. It's not a light at the end of the tunnel. It's the holy God of the universe that wants to put us flat on our face and say, I am who I am. I am the breath of life. I am existence itself. Are you going to obey me or not? Are you going to live in fear of me or in fear of everybody else? Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for all the cool things that happen here, all the music and all the meals and all the fellowship and all the um, discipleship and all the training and all the preaching and all the encouragement. Thank you for all that stuff, God. But thank you more than anything that you are you. And you are deserving of everything we have. What an awful existence this would be without you there to sustain it all. God, would you um, just convict the heart of each of us so that we would be challenged to go out of the room today and not just have heard the word, but actually do the word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.